Ladies and gentlemen, it is now time for the least listened to podcast on the globe, the Sixth Sense Media Podcast, with your host, Mike Phelan. You can always bleep it out anyway. Yeah. All right. Um, so actually, I, I was really looking forward to this. Um, funnily enough, we had just watched uh, Best in Show um, about a week ago. Uh, right before yeah, yeah. The, uh, the invite came out and I was like wow yeah I'll jump on that no problem I, I, I yeah <laughs> good kid still works doesn't it still works yeah and I was reading through your uh, biography today and what I found most interesting is when you broke into the BBC and you left uh, headshots and it didn't work for some reason I, I don't know why it was an audacious thing I mean I, I was probably 22 23 and I, I just had a stack of headshots. Yeah. And I got, I somehow got past security and, and resumes. And um, I, I was, I guess I was really desperate. I'd done a tiny bit of theater, you know, in, in repertory theater and I really wanted to do TV. So I literally walked down the corridors and just uh, walked into the, any empty office. I'd go in, stick the picture and resume there and then pick up some of their stationery and um, scribble must see uh, and then an indistinguishable signature and then put it on top of the thing. And I, I thought I probably did about a dozen of these before mm. I sort of thought I'm gonna need to get out of here before someone arrests me. Um, and uh, yeah, then it was like, uh, well, I'll get a call soon and uh, the rest will be history. Uh, but I never got a call. Is I don't know how the BBC works as far as auditioning and hiring actors. Does it work the, much of the same way it does in in uh, LA where you need representation, just kind of showing up doesn't really work. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, representation and you need to probably read for specific parts if you've not got a track record. You know, now, you know, you either get offered something or you, if it's something you really want to do, you might do a self-tape, you know, if there's a lot of people kind of namey people going up for it. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was it was kind of naive, but, um, but, but uh, looking back, it amuses me because it was just so audacious. Oh, I know. I know people that would send in their headshots. They would just mail it in with just like. Oh, yeah, that's the norm. Address. That's <laughs> the norm. But to actually break in there and yeah. put them on the desk and then pretend they're being recommended by somebody else at the BBC is just <laughs> just ridiculous. But um, yeah, I, I, I um, uh, that fell short slightly. <laughs> uh, how do you since uh, since COVID happened? How do you feel that you're that you're doing as far as auditioning when you have to do a tape instead of do it in person do you feel that there's a better that you do it better when you're in front of a casting director or do you feel well, like I, I, result yeah i don't do an awful lot now because i as i say i either get people know me well enough that i either get offered something i'm mm -hmm. um, sort of somewhere on the list or, or if it's really up for grabs or they've offered it to a name but the name's probably not going to do it they'll probably you know sort of read three or four people or maybe more, I don't know. Um, so yeah, it's, you've got more control over it, obviously, and you can see how it turns out, but it's a lot more work because you have to set up the camera, you have to set up everything, you know, you can sort of learn it or not learn it. I, I can sometimes do it just reading off the screen and making it look mm -hmm. like I, I've learned it. Um, but I, I don't know, I don't, I, I don't particularly, I, I always felt stronger in the room I was always able to command a room when I walked into it and do did did stuff mm -hmm. um, so it's a bit alien to me but um, I guess it's the way of the world now <laughs> uh, what have what's been your your thoughts on um, 
what is more rewarding to you acting on screen or acting on stage? Oh, I think I did a lot of stage work in the first seven, eight years of my career. It was pretty much all I did. Uh, and then, and then I kind of burnt out a bit on theater. I mean, I'd done, um, I think four shows on Broadway and, and I'd pretty much been doing eight shows a week for three years solid in New York, uh, either on Broadway or, or off Broadway, mostly on. And, and I was kind of tired and, and I was kind of getting into my late twenties and I really wanted to do television and film. And that's when I moved from New York and left what was kind of a pretty solid theater career to, to, to gamble on, on film and TV because I just, um, I, I like theater very much, but it is incredibly demanding in terms of your time and energy. Mm -hmm. And um, I always felt I, I could do something. I felt I was a bit more, um, uh, I, I could do something subtler and, and more internal uh, than, than I was doing on stage. Um, and I think I was a fairly decent stage actor, but it wasn't, it wasn't sort of my first uh, love, really. I think I really always wanted to do film and TV. If, say, when you moved and you took that gamble and it didn't pan out, what would you have wanted to do for the rest of your life if you had? Oh, I'd, I'd have been a stage actor and said, oh, who wants to do TV and films? I'm not selling out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I'd have just been a, a, a kind of New York stage actor or a London stage actor if I'd gone back at that point in my life. And I, yeah, I, I, in, in England, you can progress slightly more organically from, from theater to TV and films. Mm -hmm. uh, but I'd already kind of made that move to a point that it was almost uh, a point of no return because I had, had little track record in, in England at that point, you know, when I was in my late 20s or 20s. So yeah, it, it was, um, yeah, I, that would have probably been it. I would have just been a stage actor until until TV and film came calling, if they ever mm -hmm. did. Um, speaking as someone that didn't make it, I, I had to fall back on something that wasn't even related to the entertainment industry for a long time. And yeah, well, I, 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 I mean, admire people that make it. Well, it's, it's so much of it's luck. Uh, mm -hmm. It's, um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, what is, is people say to me, you know, that you have a really successful career. And I'm thinking, have I? I don't it seems pretty mediocre to me. Uh, I've, I've been, it's a very lucrative career, um, certainly from writing. And, um, and then I look at the acting and I go, you know what, I've been an actor nonstop for 43 years. Got something like 100 and, I don't know, well over 120 credits on IMDb. So I, I guess, I think someone said, someone told me it was Rod Steiger, but I don't know who it's attributed. I must look it up and find out who actually said it. They said in show business that this was someone who was at the end of their life. And they said, the only definition in show business of success is survival. And I think that's absolutely true. Um, but it is completely, I think it's, there's so much luck involved. I mean, I always, always believe that it's so many people have talent. Ten, talent is 10% of it. Mm -hmm. And, and so many people have that. And there's a lot of people that have, um, know how to sell themselves they've got good energy and energy is a part of it you know organization all the things that are the business side of it are another probably 20 percent maybe mm -hmm. and then and then 60 to 70 percent i'm losing track of my percentages now um, but about 60 percent if two-thirds of it let's go to two-thirds two-thirds is really luck it's luck mm -hmm. and um i've had some terrific luck and I've actually had some very near misses of things that would have probably jettisoned me into to a higher stratosphere. 
And then, you know, you do look at some people's careers and it seems like straight out of drama school, they, they, they have the red carpet sort of laid out for them. But mm -hmm. I, I suspect they're also very talented. Um, but uh, as I said, you know, that's, uh, so many people are talented. So it's, it's I don't know, I, I wish I could explain it. It's an odd thing because, you know, in professional sports, you go, well, there's talent and there's application. And if you have both, you're likely to be successful. And, and, and that's really the truth in professional sports. It's much more quantifiable uh, in, in uh, the arts, you know, painting, music, acting, whatever. It's far less quantifiable and, and you are dependent so much on uh, what, you, what you are physically to sell as an actor, uh, if, if it's the right look or, or you, you happen to be at the right time in the right place. So yeah, I can't stress that enough for people setting out, but you have to realize that um, you, you, you keep doing it and you've got control over that every day, but you, you just have to know that there is an element of luck and you have to do everything possible to reduce those odds. That's all you can do. Do you think that since you do have your British accent that that gives you a little bit of a leg up in some situations? Because Americans it, are so obsessed it, with that accent. Yeah, it gave me, it definitely put me in a niche right away. In England, mm -hmm. I was sort of um, hard to pin down because uh, I, I was not really a leading man when I was younger, oddly, because I've still got most of my hair and I'm not, you know, you know, <laughs> the size of a house. Yeah, I got, I, I got that problem. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I mean, the, the, although those can help enormously too for being mm -hmm. a character actor. But now I'm oddly for my age, more of a leading kind of, you know, I, I play the, 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 the star's boyfriend or husband or whatever. So it's it's changed um, in that respect. Uh, what was the question again? <laughs> Sorry. I, it's late. Uh, the, your, your accent, since Americans are oh, so yeah, yeah, obsessed the accent. With, that, with the English yeah, accent. Yeah, yeah. No, it definitely gave me a, a niche and it kicked me off. Um, and, and I think that that helped to a point, but it's also been a, quite a hurdle in other ways. And especially now when... Uh, so many British actors are being required to play Americans. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's quite difficult. And I mean, I can do a decent American accent now, but I still feel more comfortable, particularly in comedy, uh, being British, because my timing is that it's so much of who I am. I, I didn't lose that. I mean, I've been here for 40 something years mm. and I'm still, I still have my accent. I still am very British in my, my heart and probably American in my soul. Um, I don't know what that means, but it's sounding good. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think is the hardest thing about the American accent to nail as far as the dialect is concerned? Well, it's the middle America thing. It's tough. You know, that Johnny Carson, mid-America. That it, it, I think a lot of English actors can do cartoon American acting. Um, and mine, when I first started to try it, I definitely sounded something out of Hanna-Barbera. Uh, and my voice suddenly went three octaves lower. <laughs> So I tell you, hey, I'm talking like this, you know, uh, yeah, hey, uh, how you doing? And all that. And, and then you go, well, this is ridiculous. That's a cartoon. So I think it's easier, actually, for Brits to do uh, Southern because it's something you can really hang your hat on quickly. Mm -hmm. uh, and probably that's just as bad, too. And we're, we're floating from Louisiana to Texas to Alabama and uh, everywhere in between, you know, while we do it. Uh when you first, when you first got approached by Christopher Guest to be in mm -hmm. um, Best in Show, uh, yeah. you wrote that uh, it was kind of a very loose kind of audition, and it was kind of floaty. Could you 
Could you yeah, expand yeah. on that? How it wasn't really like a solid interview or a, Chris audition. doesn't audition people. You know, having worked with Chris on the other side of the table as a, a co-writer and a co-producer uh, on on later stuff, uh, he doesn't audition people. He meets them and then gets a sense of whether they can improvise. He just gets. Mm-hmm. He doesn't even ask them to improvise. And I had a meeting with him and Eugene, and it was Eugene's idea because I, I knew him socially. And I'd, I'd met Chris, I think, once or twice, very briefly socially. But I knew Eugene. And Eugene, they wanted to pair someone up with Fred Willard, who was going to be the straight man. And uh, no one else in the troupe wanted to do it because they knew that they would just get, he would be bouncing off the furniture and the walls. Um, and uh, so, so it was Eugene's idea. So well, I think it'd be quite funny to have this boorish American kind of Joe Garagiola type who's just speaks before he thinks and is really ultimately very stupid mm-hmm. against very well-spoken, um, educated and, and, and knowledgeable dog expert from England. Um, and it was a very clever idea. And, and Chris obviously responded to it. But the interview was bizarre because both of them are quite, uh, what's the right word? Um, socially awkward, shy, I don't know, but they're, they're not comfortable, you know, and they don't talk a lot. So I found myself sitting on the couch with them at their desks and sort of babbling because there would be these long pauses between, you know, sentences and, or questions. And I found myself sort of babbling to fill the pauses and the uncomfortableness. And after about 10 minutes, I was thinking this, I'm just kind of digging myself a hole here. And I said to Chris, look, um, here is a tape uh, DVD of what I do. And if it if it works and it looks like it's in the right thing, I'd love to love to do it. And and that was it. And I left thinking, you know, driving home thinking, I don't know how I, well, how could I have done that better? How could I? I don't know what I but it was it felt really like I hadn't hadn't really <laughs> captured the room. Uh, anyway, as I was driving, Chris called and um, in his very deadpan, low-key voice said, um, it's Christopher Guest, uh, would you like to be in the movie? And that was it. Um, and then it turned out there was a bit of a complication after that because I uh, was writing and producing a TV show in England that shot at the same time. And so there was some fair bit of juggling that went on for me to be able to do it. I watched uh, I watched your scenes today from that movie as a little bit of a catch-up and when I when I read that you were having a hard time not laughing at what Fred Willard was saying, I started to focus in on your face and catching yeah. those, those little smirks where you just yeah. where you suddenly just stop it. You, you just kind of nip it yeah, right yeah, in the bud yeah. right before you right before you could have broken up. And it, yeah, it really works though because at first, you know, that my character is sort of mildly amused and confused mm-hmm. by him, and then as it goes on, he's slightly less amused and more really puzzled about how this guy could be doing this show with him and then by the end he's kind of annoyed Mm -hmm. so I wanted to make that arc as we went and Chris edited it together brilliantly to to capture that um and 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 I and I I, I, it was great that having been sort of trodden on and (laughs) so I had to sit there listening to this drivel for 25 minutes of the movie at least I mean the end of the movie Uh, and then I finally I finally stick the knife in his back when he cracks some dreadful joke uh, again. And I, I just turned from said, yes, I remember you said that last year. And it just completely just, it was literally like the death, death rattle after that. Uh, and it worked because of that. I just, but I, but I was always polite. I never kind of reacted to it in any other way other than trying to be strictly professional. And Christopher Guest has a great way of editing those films right when you get that, that, 
dagger. He'll just stop. Yeah. The scene is over. There's no yeah. need to linger yeah, on. I mean, just I, move on. I remember Eugene saying to me, you know, it's all sound bites. You know, when it, you do the improv and you, you'll do a scene and Chris has about 50, 60, I think it's 60 hours of material, which he mm -hmm. has to get down to around 88, 90 minutes tops. So that's a hell of a lot of material. So ultimately, it's going to be the the best hit, the best hits of any scene, and it's it's sound bites. So you just got to know that uh, an awful lot of what you do in that scene is not going to end up in the movie because it can't be. Otherwise, the movie would be uh, a, a never-ending miniseries. Unfortunately, you didn't get to be that quippy in um, uh, Mighty Wind. But you did get a couple great scenes with uh, you know as Mitch. It was a very different character. I mean, yeah. I, I was more slightly more of the boorish, uh, saying the wrong things and um, garrulous, not afraid to say anything. But it was a very tedious man who mm -hmm. whose hobbies were model trains and um, he sold uh, sold catheters for <laughs> and and, and um, that was fun in a different way because I could go on long rambles that were kind of shocking because people were sort of like what and, and i was proud of that speech i did at the the, the dinner table about the intricate it was a long speech about the intricacies of of um, catheters and how they can um you know that why why bladders leak um you know from imp impacted fecal matter pressing on your rectum uh and, uh, and catherine says oh i think this is probably better for another time it's not really not really table dessert talk, talk. <laughs> yes it's not really um and, and Eugene just looks at a wide-eyed stunned across the table. So it was like I was able to actually switch hats in that and be um, less of the reactor and more of the um, pro-actor. Yeah. And you, you actually caught, you captured what a lot of, I know a lot, I work with a lot of medical professionals and yeah. they, will, they will ramble on about a medicine and its side effects in the most inopportune times. In the yes. middle of dinner or in the middle of like a family, like on Christmas Day, yeah. suddenly go into a, a spiel about something that you really should be talking about in front of like children. And yeah, that's it happens. That's what people do that work in that profession. They just can't divorce the subject matter from the rest of their lives. It just yeah, yeah. comes you, together. You don't want to have uh, you don't want to have Thanksgiving with a gyne gynecological surgeon. <laughs> <laughs> that's uh, Yeah. I don't want to think about the, the, the hand based, that's been stuffing a turkey has been stuffing. Yes, yeah. <laughs> the, the turkey basically gets a whole new meaning. Uh, for people that are looking to get into the industry, uh, young people, not people like my age, your age, or just trying to figure it out, but young people that don't that don't have the experience, what would you say would be the best avenue for them to try to break into Hollywood? Um, I, I give the same advice to people that I've always given through. I mean, it hasn't really changed. I think you've got to have a solid backing in theatre and you've got to have solid training. Uh, and obviously, in this country, you know, if you've been to Yale or Juilliard and done drama, you've got a leg up right away. Um, there's, there's a few other places too, but uh, that will help. And then I would say pursue theatre, even though theatre is sort of obviously slightly diminished from when I was young and starting out. There's a lot less theatres and there's a lot less uh, plays than them or musicals. But, uh, but I, I think get that kind of experience, even if it's small theatres, uh, just get, get in front of an audience, get comfortable in front of an audience, get comfortable uh, being able to do that because then, then television and film will see much easier. You know, it's much more um, 
uh, piecemeal. Um, and, and I say easier, it's actually quite hard sometimes because you're doing things out of sequence. But, but I think there's very few stage actors who can't act on television and film. Um, some come across too big uh, and it doesn't work, but some make the adjustment. Um, but there's, I think that that would always be my advice is get that because almost all the people that have had careers like mine that have actually extended four decades uh, come from the theatre. It's the people who come straight from, you know, film school or whatever they've gone and it's sort of 20, they go into a series. And then it, after that, it's like, okay, there's, what do you do now? You know, and some survive, some survive without having done that grounding. But I, I'd say as a, a safety net, you should do that. When you say get theater experience, is there a specific type of theater? Any type of theater, any, any type okay. of theater, anything, anything. Yeah, no, I mean, Shakespearean theater doesn't really help you for most things now. <laughs> uh, it's fine. It's fine. If you can master that, you can probably master uh, modern stuff and contemporary stuff. So yeah, that would absolutely be my advice, and um, and and be innovative. I mean, I I, I think also we we have a theory that we've been through the industrial age. We're sort of still in the technology age, but I think we're entering, if if uh, socially speaking, we're, and 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 career wise, we're entering the entrepreneurial age. So you know, for a budding director, uh, make your own movie. You can do it now with an iPhone. You know, you can just pick up your phone and make a movie now. Um, so that's, you know, you just do it. And the same with, with acting or writing, just do it, do it, do it. Get it out there. Be entrepreneurial because no one else is going to sell you like you can sell yourself. However, you, however much you hate being a salesman, you've got to do it. And it is, it's alien to a lot of creative people selling. But it is show business, not show show. It's show business. So you've got to treat it like a business and be... Uh, very, very ruthless about that. Do you feel that you fulfilled that need in yourself to be an actor? Have you accomplished everything you want to, or is there something that is still within your grasp that you want to try to? I, I think luckily there is still stuff because if there wasn't, I would be sitting in the South of France, probably drinking a lot of wine and eating uh, baguettes and, and chocolate croissants all day. Um, I think that I have done a, a, a wider variety of things than I've ever imagined, ever imagined uh you know from the leads in small independent movies to smaller parts in big studio movies uh, two of which were the biggest movies of that year and box office i i've written you know my i have had my own series on the air um as a writer and producer um I, i've had movies made that i i, I never big movies I'm, I'm the tooth fairy fox movie is a it was a big movie um, and it's a studio movie. And I never in a million years thought I would write and produce something like that. So that's been wonderful. The one thing I haven't done, and it's astonishing when I look at my contemporaries and people who've had similar careers in terms of an actor, I've never been a regular on a TV show. I've been a recurring character and I've recurred on, you know, on numerous shows, but never really done more than anywhere from six to eight episodes. Mm -hmm. uh, I guess Family Tree, I would, I was a regular, but that only did one season. So I, that was ended up being five episodes out of the eight that I was in. Um, but I've never, and I had to write that myself. Um, so I've never actually done that. And that, the idea of living with a character for several years um, appeals to me to be on mm -hmm. a long running show. And it doesn't drama, Comedy, it doesn't matter. I mean, I'm doing probably more drama now or as much as I do in comedy. 
Um, the last two things I've done were supernatural thrillers, um, the, the Haunting of Bly Manor and then mm -hmm. The Queen Mary, which I just finished shooting uh, in, in November. So, yeah, I mean, that would be the thing if someone, yeah, if someone could kindly just put me on a long running series. <laughs> you'd, kind of, you, you'd want to be like the George Costanza in, in Seinfeld. Or exactly. Like eight exactly. or 10 seasons of just that, just being that guy. Exactly. What's his name in Everybody Loves Raymond? Uh, somebody Boyle. Uh, Boyle. I've forgotten his first oh, name. Yeah, I totally forgot. I know who you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. He played the father or whatever. Mm -hmm. or something. He played the older. Uh, and yeah, that, I mean, that's perfect now for me. And uh, listen, I don't need more than two or three scenes per episode. <laughs> I'm preferably sitting down. I'm preferably all sitting down. I'll play a character in a wheelchair, then I have to be sitting down. But that would be great. That would be perfect. And that would be, then I'd feel... I haven't really missed out on anything because I mean, bar being a movie star, which I think is probably a bit late now, um, you know, reality check. Uh, that's the only thing. I, I, and, and, you know, the number of people that, that get to be movie stars are infinitesimal. So I don't feel cheated out of that one. You don't want to retire and start doing the convention circuit, just sitting there and just signing autographs for oh, God, eight or I, 10 hours. I went to one of those recently because um, my infinitely better half was in a film called uh, League of Their Own. And, mm -hmm. and, then, and that's a big, you know, that they have quite a few events like that. And she did one of those autograph things. And I, 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 I actually came back to Chris and said that this is, you know, this is a movie, but, but it would be a depressing movie. And they sort of did it with that uh, Galaxy Quest. They kind of started, yes. didn't they, in, in a yep. thing. And that kind of was a very good premise for it. I found it profoundly uh, disturbing. Um, <laughs> and, and I get it why people do it. You know, the money's really good. Mm -hmm. And it's, you just sit on your ass signing, you know, photos. I mean, how hard is that? But to me, it feels, I'll I tell you why the book was hard for me to write. And the only reason it got written was because of the pandemic. Um, I always look forward. I tend to always look forward in my life and at the very nearest I'm living right now, you know, right in front of me. So to look backwards, to turn around and go, OK, let's look at the road that I've traveled and write about that was uh, not within my instincts. I did it and it was very therapeutic and very helpful in many ways, as I think a lot of people found the pandemic, you know, being in lockdown, you, you got time to reflect and uh, re reset and, and, and really think about what where you've come and particularly someone in my age entering my 60s uh it was a perfect time to do that so I didn't resent not being able to go out there and be doing it it was like okay I take this as a sabbatical that at the end of my life I'll say thank god I had that sabbatical I got off the merry-go-round for a year mm -hmm. and had that privilege very different if you're younger trying to make your way in the world very different if you're living in an apartment somewhere in a big city uh, with kids and you've got to educate them. Very different. So I was entirely privileged living, you know, up in the hills here in Hollywood and, and with a, a nice piece of land that was, I could be enclosed and not worry about ever going out. And that was incredibly privileged. But, um, but yeah, that, that, uh, that, that provided me the opportunity to write the book. And speaking of the book, well, when will it be out? When will people be able to? Uh, March 23rd, it is uh, the release date. It is the ebook you can pre order right now on Amazon and various other outlets, all the usual. And the pre order for the hard copy, the print copy, and the audiobook 
is March 13th. You can start pre-ordering that. Um, did you narrate so, the audiobook yourself? I did, yeah. I finished okay. that I finished that a couple of weeks ago. Um that was hard work. Boy, that was oh, yeah. hard work. I mean, I've done a lot of voiceovers, but I, I I've only done a short book for Disney. I've never done books on tape or audiobooks. And mm -hmm. um, there was, you know, and I was sort of editing it and engineering it myself because I recorded it at home in my uh, studio here, my makeshift studio uh, in my walk-in closet. Um, so it, it was a lot cheaper to produce because I didn't have to pay an actor to play me <laughs> and or an engineer. Uh, of course, it had to then go to a sound engineer to edit it and make it properly sound decent. Um, but God, it was hard work. I mean, seven or eight hours a day. And... What I learned through that was how much my stomach rumbles, first of all, during the course of a day, which would mean, okay, let's start that again, because the rumble, you can hear it on the thing. Mm -hmm. How many planes and helicopters go above? How many neighbors and have uh, gardeners with leaf blowers? Um, it, it's, it was like one day I literally, I said to Annie, uh, my other half, I said, I, I, I'm having to stop every five minutes. I mean, you can look at the tape, this clip here of like, I get three lines out. And then I have to stop because either my stomach's rumbling or uh, somebody's doing something. Um, so it was it was a lot of a lot of hurdles. I was I was on set uh, for a Netflix production up in Vancouver, and it was the studio was right next to an elevated train. So oh. production would start and stop for like five minutes at a time. I don't know how they got through filming everything they needed to for the series, but you just hear them just cut, stop. L trains going by every yeah, yeah. five minutes. <laughs> Well, unless it's deafening, I've always felt when they say hold, hold for a plane, you know, um, and you have to keep doing that when you're shooting on location outdoors. I've always felt, unless it's a period piece where you know there, there aren't planes flying over in mm -hmm. 17th century England, um, I, I, I always feel unless it's really loud and you can't hear the actors, that's just part of the nat natural ambience that we mm -hmm. live in now. So I never quite understood why everyone got so obsessive about having to, 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 to hold for the plane or hold for whatever. Well, this was for Lost in Space. So it wouldn't make much sense to hear a uh, that would L be train. Weird. That would be <laughs> weird to have a train in space. That would be so odd. Yeah, yeah. Where are you located, by the way? Uh, me, I'm in Florida. Oh, in your Florida. And what is your shirt? Oh, uh, it's uh, Manchester. Manchester Football Club. It's not United, though, is it? No. This was just a gift from a friend. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I was like, it's football. It's it's a football. Yeah, it's definitely football. Yeah. <laughs> but it's not Manchester United or Manchester City. I think it may be Manchester FC, who are, you know have about two people in their stands. <laughs> Maybe that's so why you, it was a gift. Someone just went yeah. rid of. <laughs> well, if you go there, you'll have no trouble getting tickets. <laughs> uh, my last question: uh, If if your biography were to be made into a movie, who would you want to play you? Um, I think Whoopi Goldberg would be absolutely dead on. I mean, we're, we're always up for the same stuff. Uh, her and Jackie Chan, we, we always seem to be up in the same room waiting, going, oh, no, not you again. Um, I, I think if I was... It'd have to be me, wouldn't it? I mean, it'd have yeah, to be I mean, me. It, yeah. it, would be, it would be really strange. And this, obviously, you have to play, get someone to play young me. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know. I don't know who'd play young me. I'd, I'd have to look and see. I'd have to have extensive auditions to see who could be. <laughs> maybe, maybe Carl Urban or. Uh, well, Carl Urban's, you know, not Banner, that maybe. Much. he's not that much younger than me. I mean, he is. He's definitely younger. 
and he's got the worst fucking English accent I've ever heard. <laughs> you know, I'm sorry, Carl, but you're a terrific actor, but your English accent really sucks. Well, he tried his best with his American one, but for some reason, at the end of every word that stuck, that ended with an A, there was an R at the end of it. So, American R. Well. <laughs> Well, if he's listening to this, we'll have a, a, a voice off. And he can get me to do Australian and see how bad I am. You've been listening to the Sixth Sense Media Podcast. You can find more of our celebrity, composer, musician, and filmmaker interviews, as well as pop culture roundtable discussions on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Pandora. Be sure to check out our vast library of entertainment industry coverage, including on-set reporting from your favorite TV series and movies at SixthSense.com.